0: Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. My name is Tom Galker, and I am your host. Tonight, it's it's Do The Hustle with Warren Wolf. If being on stage and performing is 30% of your business, then 70% is behind the scenes, and that's what we are calling The Hustle. Today, we're speaking to multi-instrumentalist Warren Wolf, who is local. He hits the clubs, he's teaching at the Peabody, and he travels the world. And he's always on the move, and... uh, I had the opportunity to have him sit down in a chair for a couple minutes to talk to him about the business. So let's get into this interview, but first let's listen to a track from the 2016 Mac Avenue release, Convergence of Warren Wolf. The song is called Habit. 30% is basically, you know, working on your music and your craft and then performing it. But the 70% is on the other side about how to navigate the business, how to make sure you're booked, how to, you know, keep your positive spirit up. You know, sometimes you're like, as anyone, you know, I'm working really hard on this. And then you go out and you're like, okay, where are the people to embrace me? Where's that love? So yeah, yeah. So my whole thing for you, traveling all the time, plus you work at the Peabody, you Plus, you know, you're out like gigging around in this area and you have kids and they're younger. So how do you like navigate all that? Honestly,
1: a big part of that goes to my wife. If you're in a situation like I am and many others are, if you have somebody who's supportive and understand what the life of of an artist is like, things can work. But a a typical schedule for me, you know, at least when I'm home, say for instance, because I only work at Peabody mainly on Monday and Tuesdays. We'll all, everybody in the household will wake up at 6 o'clock, maybe 5.30. From there, we start getting the kids ready for the, for school. That that whole process right there takes about 45 minutes. Once that's over, we, you know, my wife takes me to the bus stop. And then she goes to work because she's an artist. She's a, 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 a professional dance teacher. After that is when, uh, I mean, outside of the exercise stuff, you know, we, I go straight to Peabody and I'm working there pretty much, say on Monday, like all day. Uh, Tuesdays, maybe half the day. Have to keep my stuff up scheduling wise, practice wise, emails, returning phone calls, same thing with my wife. So we're juggling all the stuff at the same time, but we we find a way to make it work. I mean, we've been doing this now for almost twelve years, so I think we got a hold of it. <laughs> I think a lot of
0: artists go, "Oh, he's on a label." They think they're setting up all your, you know, your concerts. They're setting up all your, uh, yeah, you know, your public uh, things. They're setting up your studio time. What's the involvement with that label? For the record companies, their main job,
1: at least nowadays, I've heard stories about how it was in the nineties. You know, when they were give, they were given tour support and the uh, the advance for some of these records were just insane. You know, some of these for jazz musicians, a lot of guys were getting sixty, seventy thousand dollar advance, and that just doesn't happen anymore. You no, know, you don't see really tour support and things like that. You know, the record labels they just come right out. They they'll sign you and and they'll you put a record out for them depending if you have somebody working for you, you know, you have your spreadsheet and then you figure out how to divide the money between every little thing that's come that's happening when you're recording. There's a budget there yeah, <laughs> that they the, work the, they have to work with and they want their money back eventually. Are you comfortable without a label? Or are you, are you good I'm comfortable? It? I mean, because I, I've done this before i like, for instance, right now I'm currently working on my next record. This will be record number 10, the first two, the first and the fourth record. That I've had in my discography are all self-produced. So I've been down this road before. The two, the two records, like number two and three, are Japanese imports. Yeah. So again, first record is myself. Two or three Japanese imports. Number four, another self-produced by myself, and then the uh, following five after that. I mean, the, I, I would say the, the the hard thing about it, but it's actually not too bad of a, you know, issue. Is when you're self-producing, you, you just, you have to handle all of the costs yourself. I mean, I know a lot of people do those fun drives, you know, to have other people pay for it for them because they, maybe they, they don't have the financial, you know, Recordingers don't have to be expensive. A lot of people like to use the biggest, most expensive studios there is. And I'm just like, well, in my opinion, it's
0: all about how you get it mixed. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. As, as someone who's young. They have, you have now, you've seen both. You've seen the label side, you've seen the independent side. I think any artist that starts out would love to be connected to a, a label. At least they feel they're secure. So yeah. that, what do you feel that you would say to someone who's, I'm sure there's pros and cons on both sides.
1: There are definitely pros and cons on both sides. If a, I'm thinking about my students. If, if a student came up to me and said, you know, I've been offered this record deal, should I take it? I mean, first of all, number one, I'm going to tell them read the contract all the way and get a good lawyer, you know, because there's a lot of things in there that, you know, people just sign and they don't look at. But then there are other like type of labels. Say, for instance, there's this one jazz label called Chris Cross. Teakins is the last name, but I can't remember if it's Jerry or Gary. As far as I know, he didn't really want anything from him. He just wanted to record like some of the best musicians possible and he just paid everybody a flat a flat fee and that was it so i don't really know how many people are actually just doing straight record contracts now you know i I recall uh, maria schneider she coming up with her artist share group and then i remember prince was saying that the record companies are, are pretty much useless um you know, a lot of people are just doing it by themselves now. I mean, everybody has like home studios and things like that. So I can't say if it's good or not. I mean, if you if you get that, cool. I think it's fine. You get to record, you get that experience. But I don't know if I want to call this negative or not. But you know, the record company will own your masters. <laughs> like I said, I mean, if they give you a certain amount, I mean, it's, it won't be like it was in the nineties. But you know, some records nowadays, they a company might say, "Hey, we'll we'll budget you for ten or fifteen thousand dollars." but again they they want that back they got to recoup that somehow yeah. so but that then that goes along with recouping that goes into the whole other side of business like far as uh, um who are you building your package which a lot of musicians don't understand yet your target audience like who's your tar- like who's your everything target audience like how do you build yourself because a lot of musicians are just thinking like notes wise like oh i can play I'm like, yeah, you can play, but that person can play too. So I try to tell a lot of my students and just people in general, you tell me something that is special about you. If if you're if I'm a club promoter or a concert promoter, why should I book you? Mm-hmm. Just because you can play? You know what you, the whole package has to come in hand. Like, why would the average person on the street just want to? come see you play.
0: This is all just my opinion, by the way. So, yeah. I mean, do you have historical data and say, look, these are the rooms that I played before? This is, do you have like percentages that they were sold out, blah, blah, blah. Do you give them yeah. that and say, I could sell out a room? I wouldn't necessarily say that, but, you know, I mean,
1: I think today with the, with social media, I mean, all of that stuff just helps so much because, you know, a lot of people, well, for me, I stay very active on there and I like to build my fans that way. Um, you know, I would say back when I first came out 20 years ago, it was a little bit harder, but, uh, I don't know. I just think the whole social media aspect really helps out. You know, I was talking to a friend recently. He, he told me he, um, I won't say his name, but he said he's coming out with a record. He he just finished recording the record. So I asked him, I was like, so what are you going to do as far as promoting it? How are you going to get gigs? And he said, man, just watch. I'm going to get gigs. I said, but man, nobody knows anything about you. You know, what are you just going to put a record out with, with no, he doesn't, he didn't do any type of videos in the studio to cap capture what was happening that day, nothing, no pictures or nothing. He just went straight like rogue, like old school jazz, like, okay, we're just going to record and this is going to be great. But yeah. I told him, I said, listen, sometimes I think, you know, everybody's musicians, we have to treat this like, as if say like the movies, you know, when a brand new movie is, is about to come out, there's always the trailer. And that's what get people like, oh man, that's that's gonna be happening. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to
0: see that. I think we have to treat it the same way in music. So, yeah, well, I mean, especially since okay, I, there is no Tower Records, so like I would go there at least two times a week. That would see I'd see the new release board, and I knew what would hit on Tuesday, and I you know I was ready on Thursday to buy it. Blah blah blah. So yeah. you had all that, but now you know there's like, oh wow, they had an album I didn't even know it came out, and that was like a year ago i am mi- missing uh releases because of the uh the way things are set up right now there is no the- central place to get your info well i'll tell you
1: that's the only time i really find out about new records like in 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 great detail at least when it comes to jazz stuff is if i'm looking at a downbeat magazine or jazz time so that's like one of the main reasons why i like to subscribe to those magazines so i can see what's out every now and then because i i'm one of the uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people who do this but I know for myself when it comes to purchasing music I actually purchase music I don't I don't stream anything so I go on to um you know Apple music and I always go to the new releases in in many styles of music and I'd like to see because it says it right there the new release and i'll I'll check it out I will say i'm I'm probably guilty of not buying the whole record <laughs> however at least I'm buying something
0: <laughs> definitely yeah, <laughs> definitely yeah that's what i was going to ask you i said are you getting vinyl or are you getting like the the hard copy no nah, uh, i
1: i'll I just i'll just download everything on the phone i i have a CD player upstairs uh and i definitely do not have any uh record players in the house so vinyl is out for
0: me yeah so we're, we're the word groomer is is a really bad word now because i think the republicans took it but you have been groomed and your story is really interesting I'm gonna tell everyone that if they listen to the, the the first interview, maybe even the second interview that I did of you, you get a little more information that your 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 father was a musician, your mom became a musician by proxy, and and uh, he had suggested that you get in the business. So you really had an opportunity to see what that business was like when you were young. So when you got older, that transition from like so you had that that ability to kind of. See the business as you grow up, and and, and uh, see how you fit in that, and make connections. You're already out. You're out of high school. You, you're or just and you're going into to that next level. Uh, where do you feel that uh, was it an easy transition? What what were the stumbling blocks that you kind of had?
1: I can't say it was easy or hard. I mean, I just kind of just went went with it and just to see what will happen. You know, I, re- I recall many times uh, one of my best friends was telling me recently, he said, Warren, you've always been that person to say you're not sure if you wanted to do this full time. You know, my, my late mothers used to tell me every year in January, she used to say, you know, you always worry every January, like because you don't see your calendar full. She said, you're one of the most talented people I, you're, I know. And she was like, she said, I'm not saying this because you're my son. It's the truth. You'll be fine. But coming from high school to college, I didn't really have any stumbling blocks. I was just trying to figure out where my place was. Um, And I wasn't quite sure what that was. And nor was I really trying to find out at the moment. Mm -hmm. Back then, I I was just trying to play with any and everybody. And that was the goal. I wasn't really worried about trying to get gigs so much. I mean, if, if one came my way, I would gladly take it. But that wasn't the goal. I, I just wanted to learn as much as I can. I want I wanted to play with seasoned musicians who would not necessarily give me lessons, but people who who would just take me under their wing and I would just learn from them on the bandstand. Did you ever like, go after someone and say, "Hey, I really like learn from you," or was it just more organic? Just more organic. Yeah, I've I've never approached. I, I never approached anybody, if that's what you mean, by like just actually like, I want to learn from you. Can we sit down and spend an hour for lessons? I have I stopped doing that in college. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got great verification from my teacher, the, the late great Dave Samuels, who uh, I, I studied with him for seven of eight semesters, but the lessons that actually like, like, you should do this or play this wrong, play this right note, whatever, That stopped in my first year. Okay. The lessons with me and Dave were more like he's going to show me material that he knew would kick my butt. So after that, you know, it was pretty much already said and done. It's like a lot of people, including himself, knew that I could play, but I just still needed to be seasoned more. You know, there's a certain level, at least how I look at a lot of musicians, it's like there's i was right in that middle level maybe slightly above the middle level it's like you could put any type of music in front of my face i could play it but i guess the next level is as in one of my friends in la he said his name is jacques lejour he's a guitarist he says you have to own the song and he said he was like i feel worn now that he was like you do that on everything You you play every single song as if you own it so that was that was
0: always just my mindset I know that the vibes are your, your main instrument. And, you know, if I look back at jazz and just, you know, it seemed like it was really hot. The vibes were hot in the fifties and sixties and had a cool sound. Like it was almost with that, the, um, the swinger sound of jazz, you know, in the sixties. So it was kind of, it was kind of the main thing, but then it died, died out. I think around the eighties, you don't really see too many uh, artists. And then you're coming up. Did you feel like, wow, maybe playing an instrument that might not catch on? Or did you feel, wow, there's no one else doing it, and I do it better than anyone else, and I I can get right in there? Was there any kind of thought about that?
1: I always thought that I could get right in there. I can actually well, – I don't know if I should say this, but I know I can say it because he's not here anymore. Uh, he isn't my father. There was this – I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say it in a nice way. But there was a point in time, I think in the 80s, like the, the, the main two vibes player – vibes players who were really on the scene were um like between Joe Locke and uh Steve Nelson. Of course they were the other guys were still playing like Dave and Mike Maneri and all those guys. But those are like the two new younger guys. The nineties there was like this big gap yeah with that instrument. And my father in his mind, because I mean he my father just looked at me like he was like I was just the next the next one. Like this, this guy, my, my son has it. He was pretty pissed off once he started to see Stefan Harris's name. Uh, you got, he's
0: older than you, isn't he? Maybe about like three or four years. Okay. Yeah. No, he, he, he blew up right away real fast. Yeah.
1: And, mm-hmm. and that could, I mean, he's a very talented player. He's he's a great player, great composer, everything about Stefan I really love, but I, I know it's not even a butt to it. Maybe it could have been also like, wow. There's been this gap on this instrument, and then we have somebody else who's brand new coming out. He's young, you know. He's quick, great hands, everything. So he just took it. And my dad was already always ha- held a little animosity toward that.
0: He he was like, "It's okay, you know, your time will come."
1: Yeah, and well, that's just 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 what it
0: was. Well, then I was right. There there was a decline I, in my mind. There was a big decline in that, and and I knew that when Stefan came out, he got lumped in called the young guns, where you know it was like the the Sean Jones, Terrence Blanche or time period yeah, yeah. Where, where they were, they were all, they all kind of rise up at the same time. They had a cool look. They were young and they were kind of twisting the jazz genre to take mm-hmm. a newer sound. And he, his album covers were cool. Is that, you know, he was connecting with uh, a good people and, and uh, he just kind of fell into that category. You yeah. know, do you feel like Baltimore would be a back because it's not a major market? Would that be a reason that maybe it, hinder you from being that i don't think so you mean you mean the breakthrough to what uh your dad is equally right there's no you you uh you have the talent it's just a matter of like stefan got there first but i mean do you think that like living in baltimore you know you you own your zip code that you live in you know they say oh you're you're as famous as you are as your zip code or, or professionally sound mm-hmm. financially D- does living in baltimore it's since it's not a major market is would, would that be a hindrance that that would help to decrease your your, your movement? No, right? I don't think so at all. <laughs> Number
1: one, as you just said, I think it helps as far as, at least in this area, like one of my ex-managers said, he was like, man, Warren, you need to own not just Baltimore. You need to, when it comes to jazz in, in Maryland or, or the DC, Maryland, Virginia DMV, you should be the guy. But yeah. at the same time, you know, I've always wanted to be bigger than than just this area as much as I love the area. My mentality has always been play the hell out of the instrument to the point where people will call you regardless of where you live. Yeah, And that's always been my mindset, you know, because yes, I play the vibes. Well, I'm just going to stick with that instrument. Yes, I play the vibes. and be People in New York could easily just call Stefan or Joe Locke or some of the other young vibraphone players who are younger than me. But if I'm going to play the instrument to that highest level, you know, I want them to be able to say, you know what? I I want Warren so bad that I'm willing to rent an instrument, pay for his travel and put him up in a hotel, (laughs) you know, versus when they could do the call somebody else. They don't have to do all of that. Yeah. My mentality has always been to conquer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, there's a, a, I interviewed uh, Orrin Evans. And mm-hmm. he was like, Oh, Philly kind of, he's kind of like in that time period of the young guns and he stayed in Philly. And he said, if I felt, if I, he was up in New York, he got married, he moved down to Philly. That's where, you know, he's from. He said that, that he really feels that he missed the step with all those other guys. He, if he was up in New York, he would have been lumped into that group because he would have oh. been working with them. Like he would be seeing them on a daily basis. They would be gigging. They'd be, you know, in the clubs in New York and stuff. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I kind of believe that. I mean, that the same could be with any other scene. Like, for instance, like outside of jazz, I really thought I was going to be on the LA scene, you know, just more into like pop and production and, and stuff like that. But, and don't get me wrong, a lot of those folks out there know me, but they're not going to call because I'm just out here. Yeah. And New York is a lot closer for me. So I'm just going to, I got to take what I can get at the moment, you know. So, I mean, if I were to ever to make that move out there, which I'm not, but if I ever were, you know, I would start going slowly to the point where people will recognize and say, wait, you're out here now. Okay. We'll give you some goals. But I yeah. just, I get it. with Arne, You know, I truly believe, I mean, he's up there a lot anyway, but you know, yeah, he's he in the, asking, he's in the man. Yeah. He's always, if he he's was just living there, it could have been a lot more, but he's made it work. He has had what, 25 records as a leader. And he's multiple Grammy nominations yeah. So he he's making making it well and he's one of those guys like you just said he owns the the, the uh the
0: zip code. Yeah. Like Philly is his thing but people know him well well out of that. <laughs> yeah. We went all over the place. You know, you have to thank your mom because I do you see your calendar. She she'd be proud of you. You are always on the move. We're kind of winding down so, and and uh, the thing I wanted to talk about is you are vocal on uh online so I do hear like you make some comments because I think you're dealing with kids, you know, kids that are musicians. You have you have thoughts that are a little different than what theirs are. You're you're making observations. What would you recommend that uh, kids do? I mean, one of the things that I know that you suggest is that a lot of kids are don't want to reach back to the past to learn about music. They want to uh, uh, maybe think it's boring, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, but that's one of the suggestions that you have made. But there, I'm sure there's more out there.
1: Sometimes they say, as an educator. Yes, I am the guy in multiple others. We're in charge. We tell the kids what to do. But at the same time, I learn a lot from the kids because I like to see what's in their minds. But I'm always kind of going to go back to, you know, we should learn these standards. We should learn these old school tunes. But that does not necessarily mean that you have to have a, you have to do that once you finish. You use, I mean, because this I guess because I listen to some a a wide variety of music, there's so many artists out here, and they don't consider themselves necessarily jazz musicians, but when you hear them play, you can obviously hear the jazz background. It's like, okay, you guys are not playing these complex chords or these ideas just because you're naturally talented. Obviously, you checked out some stuff, you played some stuff, and you know, I just try to get my kids to to understand that they should really just spend time on learning, uh, like say the many variations of Herbie, the many variations of Miles Davis. They should learn Oscar Peterson. They should learn about the like the correlation. Of how like how does uh Jack that How does he relate to Dennis Chambers? How how does Ray Brown can possibly relate to uh? you know, somebody in Earth, Wind and Fire, I forget the bass player name. You know, I mean it's all this stuff kind of goes hand in hand. Just learning about groove, different types of rhythm. There's just there's just so much a wide variety of music um that all the kids can learn. It doesn't necessarily have to be jazz. They can be learning Chinese music, Japanese music, Indian music, and see how all of that stuff just relates. So a lot of kids nowadays, they you know <laughs> one of my friends said this, they made it kind of quite clear. A lot of kids, they want to just, like, learn stuff that people who are, like, say, like, four years older than them. So they said, all right, let's use this analogy. If you were learning... This was actually Christian Scott. He said this. We were on the uh, Blue Note Cruise. He said it. He said, if you want to learn Kung Fu, would you go to some young guy who's five years older than you, or would you rather go study with Bruce Lee if he was still here? (laughs) I was like, yeah, let's go to Bruce Lee. So, you know... We learned that stuff from Bruce Lee will probably teach you aspects of today, but he's gonna take you back to the ancient traditions
0: of how to learn
1: that form and you know, pull you up to date. So
0: I I actually think that uh time started for early musicians at uh D'Angelo's voodoo album. Like mm-hmm. like no one go like they don't want to go back any further than that. Like that's that's the where they start and then they continue. And I don't, I don't know But why. you know what's
1: weird? somebody
0: a lot of people might consider that album like super old now yeah well, which it
1: probably is which is 20 years old but over yeah, than that yeah, yeah yeah but it's such a great piece of record where you know especially horn players horn players nowadays they'll hear that and they'll be like oh man I'm, I'm gonna just do horn section work off and that's which is fine but you know i stay for the ones who want to actually just deal with like serious improv you know, they, they. I really think they just got to check out everything. I'm going to stick with my
0: guns on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even uh, Emmett Cohen, who his first single was a a stride record, and he yeah. said that the the feedback that he had about stride. And I said, well, he goes, "This is my first stride song I ever did." I'm like, really? Because <laughs> that was that to me seems like a really cool thing. It would be a part of your whole training in college is that you would have to learn that because it's really really important to the. You should.
1: I'm yeah. Coming up as a kid, I learned how to play stride. My dad taught me a uh, ragtime. I did I did uh, an entire book of Scott Joplin.
0: Yeah.
1: And then at the same time, you know, we would go and learn something by R. Tatum, and then Oscar Peterson, then Chick, Herbie. And you, you kind of mesh all of that stuff
0: together. And out will come something. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I guess, you know, also for the thing is that you want to be picked up on as many gigs as possible you so you want to be as versatile as possible if they yep. throw back a, a, a an oldie you want to make sure that you you're prepared for it like it, you, know, you can handle it without looking at and if you can do it without sheet music it seems better mm mm-hmm. yeah there's feeling more yeah yeah we are at that point uh it's called do the hustle we're talking to musicians behind the scenes of of how they handle their business any final words I got like five minutes uh, just keep practicing. and Listen
1: to as much stuff. You kind of said it. Listen to as much music as you can. Be versatile and everything, because you never know who's gonna call, and you don't. You, you, you just want to be ready for all calls.
0: Yeah, you know the the one thing that I I don't know why this isn't happening. So Prince, uh, the the Minneapolis scene was hot because there was a group of musicians that are really tight together. Um, uh, uh, there's uh the James Brown time period where people were all together, like in the in the same area. In Ohio, um, there there's pockets where people are just really tight together. Like that whole Philly sound with the with the roots in time period. Like yeah. why why doesn't people see, hey, we need to create collectives? We need a Baltimore collective where you have twenty or thirty people who are all in and they're able to create and, and to entertain it. and then 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 with as a group collective that um like really cool things
1: come out of it. Yeah. I don't know. Sean Jones is already on something like that,
0: you know. Maybe we that can always expand. I need to I need to hit him up for part two. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I know he's been working on it for a while. That was his yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Good. Well, Warren Wolf, thank you for joining me today on something came from Baltimore, the Do the Hustle edition. We love love having you. Thanks for your help. You, have, you got it. Thank you, bro. You have, you have a good day.